This podcast is proudly brought to you by Prince Wine Store, bringing Melburnians the greatest wine in the world, delivering Australia-wide. Princewinestore.com.au And thanks to Red Energy, 100% Australian electricity and gas. I knew this would happen. It's not good enough and it's wrong. The ratings were not that great. Do not try and introduce a night grand final permanently, which most of the public don't want. It is rather nerve-wracking, I suppose, is the best way to describe it. When you know you're going to be opening a public space and you are responsible for the managing of the health of the people who come in. I'm not looking forward to getting the diary out again, but I find I have to because I'm making appointments and it's so exciting. (laughs) I'm joining you on the toes. They do look a bit like hobbit toes. Just call me Bilbo Beggins. Really tough night for Gary Ablett. It was great that he was honoured at the end. I thought the Richmond players hiding their medals under their jumpers as they clapped him off was a really classy thing to do. Don't Shoot the Messenger podcast with Caroline Wilson and Corey Perkin. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Don't Shoot the Messenger. This is our 149th episode, and... Having yanked her off that cloud nine she's been floating around on for a few days, we're joined, of course, by award-winning journalist, Richmond supporter, and a woman who is no doubt very keen to book in her leg wax, Caroline Wilson. Hello. (laughs) Keen to book in, Corrie, 9am tomorrow. I got the first appointment. (laughs) My God, you must, as as Daniel Andrews was announcing the end of our lockdown here in Melbourne, your fingers must have been hovering over that send button for that message. Yeah, and the toes are going to get a touch up as well. You'll be happy to hear. And all those people have seen me in open-toed sandals lately. Thank heavens. It's been a rather cool, cool October, Corrie. So tell us, why are we talking to you remotely today, lovely one? I can see you on a screen. You're not here. I'm having a mini break. I know we can't go far for our mini breaks these days, but we can have an actual break. And having vowed to um, work my darndest over October and write extra columns and do extra radio and TV, I'm now finished for the year, Corrie, a month late. And it was a great way to finish, I must admit. It was terrible not being able to go to the grand final. As I think I said to you, the last grand final I missed was when I was holding a newborn baby and um, I ended up watching the Tigers beat Geelong with that newborn baby who is now 24 years old. Um, I've got a lot of thoughts about the night grand final. I've got a lot of thoughts about what went on on the night, but we'll talk about that in a moment. But, yeah, really nice to be having a bit of a break, thrown myself into the garden, Miss James Tomato seedlings have been given a new home and life's good. Well, I'm glad that you're having a good, well, as they say, well-earned break, but particularly in the case of you guys and the footy classified team who did an amazing job. As I said a couple of weeks ago, it's rather uh, testing, I think, to be holding a television show in the palm of your hand with no football when the topic of your television show is football. So, so look, it just shows that you guys can talk underwater about anything. But well done, and uh, particularly last Wednesday's episode, which I watched and I enjoyed very much. Well done to you and all of the team, Hutchie, and, of course, Ed on Wednesday nights and so on. Caro, we have some correspondence, but I think you have an apology. Well, for the second week in a row, Corrie, I think we need to send a, a message of great affection to our friends, Mr. Cobram of Cobram Olive Oil. So it is Australian produced. We love you, Mr. Cobram. I made the best pasta dish the other night, Corrie. We're going to talk about that in a moment with Mr. Cobram's lemon olive oil. So please, it was a gag. We love you. 
I can't believe that Clem's just kind of joke, offhand comment has created such a shockwaves. And oh, did you see her on leading the Channel Seven News again last on? I, um, I did Monday I did. night she, after her, the big announcement. Her little dial popped up again on my television. There's been a bit of popping up on television screens. She at the and Channel her friend Millie News. have had more picnics for the media. <laughs> anyway, so yes, so we love Cobra Mollyball. Corey, have you got anyone you'd like to mention? Uh, well, I, yes, I, we've had quite a lot of correspondence, uh, as we always do, of course, uh, over the past week in particular in relation to your Richmond uh, Tigers winning the grand final. Thank you to Caroline Allison from Balaclava who shared memories of the Richmond Geelong grand final in 1967 in a lovely email, which I'm sorry, Caroline, we just don't have time to read out, but I did want to thank you. I read it, as did Miss Jane and Caro, with huge interest. And also to Roxy Chisholm, who wrote to us last week, Caro, she said, Thanks, CNC. I find myself constantly nodding in agreement whilst listening to Don't Shoot the Messenger. I am a Geelong supporter and am lucky to be living out of the lockdown in Noosa. We are heading to the Gabba on Saturday and feeling anxious, which is pretty standard. Can I be a potty spectator or commentator from the crowd? Crowd. Section S, row PP. We then said, yeah, sure, Roxy, you know, let us know. So... Over the next few days, several, and particularly during the game, email correspondence came thick and fast. Roxy, I want to thank you, and it's a pity that you never came to the age or that Herald with Caro and I and joined us on the cadet ranks because I think you would have really nailed it, particularly as a footy reporter. Roxy's final comment to us, Caro, um, of course, was after the grand final. She said, feeling a tad disappointed with Cat's loss, but feeling good that Geelong were there and were there to play. And she said, you know, congratulations to Richmond, Dusty and all Tiger supporters. And as she said, and you and I, I know, concur about this, Carol, because we've talked about it. Roxy said, top marks to Brizzy for hosting. Pre-game, halftime, lights, fireworks, music were all fantastic. And um, and then she sent a message of love to all Victorians. So, Roxy, hope you have had a wonderful weekend up there. I know your team didn't win, but what a joy and a privilege to have been there Caro's green with envy and well done Brisbane for putting on such a good show. Yeah, they did. They did, although it was very dramatic, wasn't it? I mean, at one stage there was a suggestion it was going to be put off or it wouldn't start on time because of lightning. Happily, that didn't happen. The races nearby at Doombin were cancelled or the last three or four races. So it was an extraordinary day. It was a very weird day in Melbourne. And it was, a, it, it, I'd said on radio, it reminded me of being in a scene out of Neville Shoots on the beach driving to 3AW to do that last broadcast. Melbourne was windswept, dark and miserable. But there were little clusters, one around the MCG, one around Cadinia Park at Geelong. And um, there was a bit of spirit. There was fight, but it felt very sad. Felt a lot happier on Sunday. And Corrie, it feels a lot happier today, doesn't it? It certainly For does, Caro. It certainly does. But before we get on to all the other reasons, I just wanted to uh, remind potties that our 150th is next week. Oh, my God, we've been chatting for 150 episodes and we are going to celebrate and we're going to do it as a webinar event, which is unusual. But do you know what? Already we have more than 60 people who have purchased tickets to join us on the webinar. Next Wednesday is the date. So that would be Wednesday. I can't remember. I think it's the 5th of November. And you can Day join, after the Melbourne Cup. Correct, Amondo. And you can join us via Zoom and be part of our Q&A uh, after the podcast recording. So join in. We can't wait to see you. 
And any issues or questions you'd like us to tackle, Carol and I are very happy to talk about anything from leg waxing to why have we... You booked a, have you booked a blow wave for the event? Uh, no, uh, <laughs> no. Oh, my goodness, I have not. I better get on Have you planned right an outfit? I have. Um, I will plan an outfit. I'll, I'll, <laughs> I'll have a little think about that. But I, uh, I do urge everybody to just give us a... Send us a message to all the usual spots. Feedback at don'tshootpod.com.au is the email. We'd love to hear from you. Anything silly, irrelevant or important you'd like Carol and I to discuss, we're happy to have a chat. And Carol, we are very excited to have new two new sponsors joining us on the podcast, Click for Vic and Prince Wine Store. So a bit more about those guys later, but thank you very much for showing us all of that support. October challenges, I'm just going to kick off by saying haven't walked Q. Lots of potty jokes about you and I talking about Far North Q last or far queue the other day. That was rather funny. Ha ha, an old gag. Um, Xavier boys used to love saying, oh, far queue, tram. Yep. Okay. But anyway, um, I haven't walked, but I will be. That was like the um, Scotch boys in the number 69 tram. Oh, (laughs) look. Yes. And isn't it funny whenever anybody mentions number 69, everybody starts to giggle and titter. It's hilarious. In fact, Mick Malthouse said um, Geelong played like private school boys on Saturday night, which I thought was a bit cruel. Corrie, um, I'll just say that um, I've finished my work, but I wrote, I put extra effort into my last column of the year, which was um, a story of the two coaches and two fascinating men they were. Did my, um, I've got one more offsiders to go, but did my last footy classified, as you said. I, I worked out, I think I've seen more of Matthew Lloyd, Lloyd this year than I've seen of you or. I think I've seen more of my husband, but pretty much no one else. We, there's been a lot of episodes. So work is over. And um, next month, next week, we'll talk about our November challenges. We will indeed. And, uh, yeah, look, I'll get to you very soon, I'm sure. But um, No, Cara- you won't. Your November challenge is going to be work, 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 isn't it? <laughs> Your shop's reopening. I'm not saying that I haven't done my October challenge. I've just put it on ice for a little bit. But listen, it ha- it was great news and that's a terrific segue to Victorian Premier Daniel Andrews' announcement this week of an easing of lockdown restrictions and, of course, the four essential reasons why any of us were allowed to leave home have now been removed. So there's still a few, uh, like the 25-kilometre rule and, there's, and obviously face masks that will go on for months, I'm sure. But retail and hospitality venues are allowed to reopen with some restrictions. Beauty and tattooing services can reopen, so that would have caused you huge joy, not the tattooing part, but the beauty, Caro. And I just wondered, what was your first reaction when you heard Monday's announcement? Oh, oh, well, I did ring the beautician straight away. I know that's incredibly selfish and narrow-minded. Oh, Corrie, I was thrilled. I was thrilled that the number was zero. And as we sit here today, we've got another zero. Obviously, there was a huge amount of anger. It really threatened to spill over on Sunday, didn't it, when the announcement got delayed. But they did 4,000 tests after that announcement and they all came back negative um, so the first thing I did, yes, was um, book a toenail paint and a leg wax. But I also um, planned um, a family dinner, as in at a restaurant, just because I could. And um, I rang my favourite restaurant and they got me a table straight away. I could only get six o'clock, so I took it. And um, that's the next thing I'm going to do. Obviously, I am just waiting till they lift the 25 kilometre rule and it'll be wonderful and I I think then I'm going to go on a road trip which I'm looking forward to and I don't know I I obviously thought of you because um, I thought you're able to open your bookshop 
and actually do a pretty decent Christmas um, pre-trade period, which is wonderful news. Well, yes, like all retailers in Melbourne, I was really delighted and relieved. A relief was probably the, the first overarching. And then it was accompanied by a bit of anxiety, to be absolutely honest with you, because it is rather... Um, it is rather nerve-wracking, I suppose, is the best way to describe it. When you know you're going to be opening a public space and you are responsible for the managing of the health of the people who come in and you've got to apply COVID-19 rules and regulations to everybody who comes into your shop. So there's a lot of trust, which I guess is what Daniel Andrews and Brett Sutton have been doing for the last three months, a lot of trust in Melbournians and the shoppers of Hawksburn that everybody will do the right thing. But gosh, Caro, you've got to start thinking about how your traffic flow is in your shop. Is it going to be possible when people are browsing books for them to stand a metre and a half apart? There's a lot of stuff that we have to think about and it's, it just brings with it another layer, a different layer of stress, but looks certainly very um, relieved that all of this is over. And I just did want to uh, kind of pay tribute um, or comment on to and send our love to the families of the 871, I think, Victorians who have died since this uh, pandemic has hit our state. And we think of all their families and we think also of all the people who have passed away in this time and their families who haven't been able to gather for a formal kind of funeral. And I have one customer in particular who I love and adore who we lost a few weeks ago. And it's just been very difficult, I think, not to be able to reach out, to use that hackneyed phrase, and and really, you know, be part of the celebration of her life. And I just wonder about all of the families and think about them. So um, all our love to them as well. Carol, how do you reckon Daniel Andrews and Brett Sutton, and in particular DHHS, which probably is the most unpopular public service department in the country at the moment, how do you think they have managed and what's going to happen to them how will Daniel Andrews well, be judged, I guess, by... Well, that's, that's a big question, Corrie. Um, well, there's a huge amount of anger towards the Victorian government and the health department and the structural, um, I suppose, the infrastructure that is different from other states that maybe helped lead to all of this. Obviously, as a result of um, the mistakes that were made, we've lost a health minister and the, the Premier's chief of staff, so people have actually... You know, people have lost their jobs as a result of the mishandling. With, Look, with I, Brett Sutton's email chain on that particular day when the government decided to use uh, contract workers, security guards, and and he's him saying, you know, he didn't read the email properly and everything. Do you think that there's that could can we excuse that at all, or should be should he be held accountable? I don't feel. I can't feel any huge amount of anger or judgment towards Brett Sutton. I mean, this guy, as as all the state chief health officers or chose, another word we never knew, another acronym we never knew until March or April this year, they, they, these guys are often just GPs, they're doctors who have become, in a sense, public servants or become gone into their jobs. I don't think we hold them to the expectations or the standards that we hold up our state leaders. I just don't think it's fair. I can't be angry at Brett Sutton. I'm not sure what the, what the suggestion is that he wanted some emails suggest, suppressed. That's the allegation. We're not even sure exactly how that went down or 
if if he actually did anything wrong. I just think they've worked incredibly long hours, and I'm not going to judge him. Daniel Andrews, you know, there was a poll that came out on Monday, which was before the big announcement, which had his personal popularity rating or approval rating at 52%, which is amazing, really. And the opposition leader was 15%, Michael O'Brien, which is astounding. Astounding. It is absolutely astounding. Devastating for the opposition. And you'd have to think, uh, I I don't feel, uh, again, I'm not holding anything against Michael O'Brien, but I guess it's going to be tough for him to lead um, the Libs into the next election, isn't it, really, with with an approval rating like that after what's happened and given the widespread anger that we're hearing from our immediate circles against Daniel Andrews. Look, you know, I sort of thought, I, I felt quite emotional myself when he spoke on Monday. I mean, he was clearly emotional. He clearly he came the closest to breaking down that we have ever seen, and this seems to be to be one of the tougher, more resilient politicians I've ever seen. Obviously, there were dreadful cock-ups. Obviously, it's been a disaster. It's been a, an absolute disaster. But when he said he was going to reach for something a bit higher on the shelf, I sort of felt quite happy for him because apart from, he's worked very hard. You can't say anything else about that. I don't know how much longer he can front the media day after day, but I see no sign of that ending, Corey, which I think probably people would like that. Well, Maybe it, not to see him one day. <laughs> well, the day that we don't see him, I think we'll all really feel that we're out of this mess. Although, as we know, you can always slip back into another wave, but let's just remain positive and let's celebrate what Melbournians in particular and Victorians generally have achieved in the last few weeks. It really is quite extraordinary. Well, you, well, you say that about shops, Corrie, and your own level of anxiety about people in your shop, but we have been going to shops through all of this. We've been going to supermarkets and green grocers and delis and news agents. And I've seen an enormous amount of respect among individuals. The odd nasty person, the odd very nasty jogger, for example, who um, might make a nasty comment when you're walking down the street or people in a state of stress. But I think people at the bookshop are going to be pretty respectful of each other's personal space. I think so too. And I think we should also be respectful of, of, of not necessarily making political judgments. I had a customer last week who picked up some books and um, was very agitated about where the, this recent cluster had come from. And, um, I, you know, you just can't take that on board. You can't enter into that space. And I think because a lot of people have been do live alone, that probably their local shopkeeper or, or whoever is their community connection. And I think, you know, let's just keep it bright and breezy because we've all got to get through the next few weeks. Carol, I wonder what saved you during lockdown. I was thinking about this last night and I thought, for me, if I hadn't, and you've said this many times before we've both agreed walking has been a huge saviour of mind, body and spirit. Um, speaking of spirits, alcohol's helped as well a bit. <laughs> well, and, that's, um, sort of, that's really nothing new for me. <laughs> and uh, and books, of course, reading and um, talking about books. There have been a lot more book discussions amongst friends and stuff, I guess, because we don't have an awful lot of highlights to talk about other things to talk about in life. So there's been a lot of, have you read this book and then massive dissection for half an hour on the plot and the characters. What about you? What saved you? Walking, walking, number one, and walking with, you know, that was my way of catching up with my closest friends, which has been lovely, walking with them. The odd long telephone call, work, online bridge, cooking, reading, and 
you know, Netflix and Stan and Prime and and the footy. And so, the footy, exactly. Uh, em- embarrassingly, you know, look, uh, I'm in such a different situation from you because my work wasn't really affected. I mean, I couldn't go to the footy. I couldn't go to the grand final, you know, big deal in the scheme of things. Um Really, life was pretty normal for me. It, it had its normal cycle, its weekly cycle of what it always has during the footy season and with work. So nothing really changed in, in terms of I, I couldn't say I had any real hardship. You know, I obviously miss the family, miss having the family from Sydney, miss going to see them. You know, it was sad not being able to travel, but there's been no real, real hardship. Well, what, what did, I mean, my, what my did business you, didn't have to close down like yours. What did piss you off most during lockdown? I mean, I, th- I think about um, the, the lack of opportunity of not having family and friends around the table. So there's new topics to talk about. You get a bit sick of talking about the same stuff. Yeah, I think, I think what, what um, I found difficult, and again, this is just pretty selfish and isn't something that, you know, I'm going to go to war on, but... Like you, we have a lot of WhatsApp groups. Like we have a travel group of travel friends. I have my gym group. I have my bridge friends. I have, um, you know, we have our Cornish walkers. They were actually one of the better behaved. But it felt like every other group, and obviously the footy classified were pretty good because we only stuck to footy. But every other group, it was all in the – there was no other topic than how angry everyone was and how terrible Victoria was and what a terrible place it has been to live and what a terrible job Daniel Andrews has done, all of which everyone is completely – I completely understand their opinions. But it was and, – and I had a friend, one of um, one of our book club, one of our book club, that was another one that behaved itself. But uh, I think a member of our book club said that her particular sporting group – there was only it, it turned into a political rant group, mm. and I, I sort of, for me, those groups aren't there for that. They're there to escape and focus on what we're doing. Which, in, you know, my gym Zoom group, it's been great to be able to see each other on Zoom, even though we can't get together. But yeah, so I, I got a bit sick of that. I found that a bit of a downer, to be honest. And what changes will you make? Do you think to your daily post-lockdown life? maybe something that's occurred to you in the last few months or a change that you've made that you'd maybe like to continue? Uh, for me, I'm going to have a clearer diary. Oh, my well, Lord. Well, having to pick up ja- the diary. Miss Jane's nodding her head furiously here to just open. I mean, that diary did cost me $54 at the start of the year, so still a bit agitated about that, but just to see the empty I pages. I told you at the time. <laughs> I told you at the time. That was ridiculous. Oh, look, I think to be completely, um, to be a bit Pollyanna-ish, I'm just going to learn to count my blessings more, appreciate things that I previously took for granted. Like, like me things. and the podcast and the potties. Like you, Corrie. <laughs> Like you, and I'm not looking forward to getting the diary out again, but I find I have to because um, I'm making appointments and it's so exciting. <laughs> yes, well, I, I'm joining you on the toes. I've got to do something about those. As I've said a couple of times in the last three months, they do look a bit like hobbit toes. Just call me oh. Bilbo Baggins. Those um, friends of mine who can do their own pedicures, I tell you, they are, they are, I'm, I'm impressed. I couldn't, I can't do it. Okay, so let's get on to the big dance. And, of course, your Tigers won, and I'm just going to give you now 60 seconds to tell us about your day and how you felt. Well, rushing home after getting off air to see the start of the game, it was incredibly dramatic. Um, It was a a, a bewildering and cataclysmic sort of um, first quarter, wasn't it? You know, when one of Richmond's best defenders went off on a stretcher, courtesy of Patrick Dangerfield elbow, 
Gary Ablett hurt his shoulder. Really, it was a terrible night, for really tough night for Gary Ablett. Um, it was great that he was honoured at the end. I thought the Richmond players hiding their medals under their jumpers as they clapped him off was a really classy thing to do. I thought it was um, incredibly touching that Damien Hardwick apologised, well, said a bit shamefacedly on air in a great interview on 3AW on Sunday that um, he'd actually gone up because he'd left his phone in the coach's box and he just had to ring his family because neither of the coaches had their families there. And um, he just wanted to talk to his wife and children. His, his son, he hasn't seen since um, early June. So that world, or late June, that was all incredibly moving. I thought Richmond were gone late in the second quarter, had Geelong kicked accurately for the second year in a row. They did it in the preliminary final last year where they should have been five or six goals up at halftime. Had they kicked accurately, they would have been in front. I thought Jaden Short was just taking them apart. You know, Shane Edwards, who'd spent eight weeks back in Melbourne with Gary Ablett for family reasons, had come back up just on the eve of the finals with his partner and newborn child to play the way he did, and Dustin Martin. The man uh, who won ex- the man who won the grand final for He's you. an extraordinary player. He's just an extraordinary player. He's now won three Norm Smith medals Norm Smith medals. He goes past people like Luke Hodge and Andrew McLeod. He is just a superb footballer. But I think, there you know, is. the unsung heroes for me are the captain, Trent Cotchen, who changed his game, sacrificed his game really four years ago to turn Richmond into the side it is now. And Damien Hardwick, who really has to go down now as one of the great coaches. As Jake Nile said on Sunday, they are the best coach team in the AFL. And what he did at halftime to fix things was just extraordinary. And they're the best run team too, Peggy O'Neill and um, um, Benny Gale up the top. You know, it, like it's, it, it all starts from the top, doesn't it, a culture. And that's how businesses and footy clubs and all organisations can actually change. That's how Americans can do it next week if they have the courage. It starts at the top <laughs> and everything will, everything follows. It didn't look like that and on several occasions. No, this year, they've I mean, had a tough year. Dam- Damien Hardwick did not cope well with the restrictions. He was one of the worst. He was ripping down COVID-safe posters the AFL had insisted on putting up in the rooms. Uh, Brendan Gale said getting to Queensland, he said we couldn't get to the Gold Coast quick enough. We had to get there because things were not working in Melbourne. He'd started the season confident. They'd had a great pre-season. They were well-drilled. They were primed to win another flag. And he saw it all falling apart. And he didn't even he didn't really believe that COVID was real. So he was. a lot of the players didn't want to go up. Dylan Grimes even admitted um, in a post-game interview that he went up for two weeks and thought he'd then come back home because his winery was going broke and he was was having to let go people at his Mount Massenden business. Obviously, the two players who escaped the hub and went to the strip club and the kebab shop, Callum Coleman-Jones and Sydney Stack, there was the inappropriate touching in the rooms. I mean... Damon Hardwick making some pretty nasty comments in press conferences. It was, it looked like at some points of the year they were a rabble, that they were able to pick things up. And you're right, Brendan Gale, who the AFL, there's a bit of envy there, I think, from the AFL. They were briefing against him on several occasions this year, and yet he held firm. He, I saw him standing with Gillan McLaughlin at the end of the game, and I thought, well, if you are not the next CEO of the AFL, if that's the job you want, then there must be an unbelievable contender that I don't know about, and I reckon I do. So, yep, very proud of the Tigers. I mean, they're a great modern template. Well, you know, be, 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 um, be 
happy with Richmond generally. Three Richmond-based clubs all won in the last few days. Storm, the Melbourne Storm, the Tigers, and of course the Vixens. With the, it's just been a great, uh, oh, they were, a great well, local, I, I, quite a few local heroes in that group. I think I said it last week, Corrie, but if only some of our federal politicians at the times when Melbourne felt most down and Victorians felt most, you know, cut off from the rest of the country, um, if only the Prime Minister and the Treasurer had been as supportive. I mean, I know they had to play the political game, but the speech by Not Caro, they didn't. I don't agree with that. They should have been... The speech by Caitlin Waits when, when the Vixens won the Premiership the message to the people of Victoria, the speech by Craig Bellamy on the eve of the NRL grand final the, before Melbourne Storm had won about, and he's a Queenslander, but what he was saying to the people of Melbourne, that their, their achievement was extraordinary. They were the only club in the end living in a hub and they won the premiership against the more heavy favoured um, Penrith Panthers. So um, that, they were our heroes really, weren't they? Well, we're still, even though the Prime Minister, Scott Morrison, did uh, make a very nice comment to the people of Melbourne yesterday, I did feel it was a little late in coming. As you say, in the moments of the depths of despair, remember how we felt about three or four weeks ago? We just felt like we were just the complete losers, the loser state, and everybody else is recovering and opening up and going out to dinner and all of our friends and family who live interstate were having such a great time. And we all we needed was just something from our leadership in Canada Canberra to say, hang in there, we're with you. No, nah, too Sport quiet, can do too that. quiet. Sport can do Sport that. Sport can do that. When it, when it stops being political, I mean, all the way through, at the end of every game, there'd be a footballer interviewed on Channel 7 and they'd say, and to everyone in Melbourne you know, and all our supporters and all our members in Melbourne, in Victoria, we're thinking of you. And it was it was just, and, and Caitlin Thwaites was probably the best. So, um I'm full of admiration for all of them. Nakori, you have a crush. I do. And this comes from, you know how I love Australian Story, Caro, on the ABC on Monday nights at 8pm. It is just about my favourite show on television. And seldom does a week go by when I am not moved to tears. And this week followed up a story that I have been following because although I've taken myself off Facebook, occasionally I have to jump in for bookshop purposes. And I think it was back in February. It was early in the year anyway. Um, The mother of Caden Bales, a nine-year-old little boy from Queensland who has dwarfism, was bullied at school and he got into the backseat of the car and started to cry and say to his mother that he wanted to take his own life. He was just tired of being bullied. He was miserable. His life as a small person was just so unhappy. And the, her, his mother, Yarika Bales, was so moved and so distraught, she decided to run the video on her son having this sadness. And she was vilified by a number of people for doing this. But I understand why she did. She was crying as she's filming him, saying... I just picked my son up from school, witnessed a bullying episode, rang the principal, and I want people to know, parents, educators, teachers, that this is the effect that bullying has. Well, the whole thing went absolutely viral. Quaden Bales was contacted by a number of people, uh, sports people, actors from around the world. Um, Hugh Jackman posted the most beautiful message to to Quaden, just saying, you know, please take heart and we're all with you. 
Anyway, the Australian story, of course, have followed this. And on Monday night, they um, showed us what's been happening with Quaid. And it hasn't all been easy riding because they, the family itself have been, as I said, vilified in some quarters. Uh, Miranda Devine, off to the naughty corner for you. I think your behaviour in retweeting um, anti Quaden messages was appalling on behalf of a journalist. She's had a cook year. <laughs> well, I just think it was, <laughs> a, it was an error of judgment to retweet this appalling tweet. And the fact that uh, as, as far as I know, she hasn't backed down on that or apologised. But look, I, I could be wrong on that. But anyway, the Australian story featured it. And uh, I don't know whether um, Jane Jane's nodding. She saw it. A tears in eyes. Like it was just a remarkable episode. So... The whole family and also the Australian Story team, they are my crush, Caro. And now we are going to click for Vic. And big applause to this gang. We are thrilled to welcome Visit Victoria to the podcast. We have been talking about the Click for Vic campaign for a while here, Caro. You've bought things, I've bought things. And for those who are wondering what are we talking about, can I just suggest you go on to visitvictoria.com slash click for Vic all one word, C-L-I-C-K-F-O-R-V-I-C. And then you'll see all of these extraordinary suppliers and producers who have joined the Click for Vic campaign and all of the beautiful produce that they are producing. It's a fantastic way to support Victorian business in the lead up to Christmas. And Caro, I just, I don't know about you, but I'm so excited about this partnership with us and them. I feel we're completely aligned. I know your number one place to go when you're allowed to exceed the 25K limit, which hopefully will be in a week or two, will be Ballarat. And then I think your second choice will be Port Ferry, one of Victoria's most beautiful towns, probably one of the most beautiful towns in Australia. I brought some cut-off gumboots from Port Ferry. My next travel destination, I'm still really, really eyeing off Malakuta. I want to go back. I just loved it so much when I was there earlier this year. Am I right in saying they're your two destinations? Yeah, well, um, so the as you, well, of course, Ballarat because of the family. And I think I had told you that upon hearing that uh, Francesca, oldest daughter, was having a baby at the end of the year, Coco, Checker and I decided we'd have the three C's going away on a little uh, holiday, a little three-day mini break to Kyneton. Well, that was for this week, sadly. Tomorrow we were supposed to go and we can't go outside the 25Ks, so we've had to cancel that. And then because of retail opening and the stresses of all of that, we've had to postpone our Port Ferry holiday. So no fun and games in Victoria for me until after Christmas. But, but look, I, I will be there. I'll be I'll be there. I will be there uh, the rest of Victoria very soon and certainly be hitting that Ballarat. Um, all those great shops, Janie, you know Ballarat so well, the bakery and even just going to Provincial Home Living, which is the most beautiful of all the Provincial Home Living stores in Australia. I just love shopping around Ballarat. And Corrie, there are more and more little startups and small businesses and artisans moving to regional areas in Victoria. And I'm discovering them on Click for Vic. So I'm like, what have we got, two weeks before we can go back to Ballarat? <laughs> so excited. So look, to our potties, we'd love any suggestions that you might have of great businesses, services or destinations, in fact, in Victoria. Just email feedback at don'tshootpod.com.au. We would love to hear from you and this will be an occasional feature on this podcast as we click for Vic and we visit Victoria. Visit victoria.com slash click for Vic. 
C-L-I-C-K-F-O-R-V-I-C. Now, Caro, on to BSF Book Screen Food. Thank you to the gang at Red Energy for your ongoing support this year. You're a terrific power company. You're powered by Snowy Hydro. And just call 131 806 for real Aussie energy if you are interested. Um, I have to introduce myself because I'm doing the book. That's a bit ridiculous, isn't it? Carol, do you remember a couple of years ago or maybe a year ago, maybe last year, I was telling you about this nonfiction book called The Salt Path, which yes. was written by uh, a Cornish, uh, well, actually Welsh, but now living in Cornwall, Raynor Wynne, W-I-N-N is her surname. Raynor is about our age. And this is the true story of her, uh, her, The Salt Path is the story of her journey around the Cornish coastline with her husband, Moth. And the, her second book, The Wild Silence, came out a few weeks ago, and it is just as good, uh, very interesting and very quite different because they end up walking around Iceland, which is fantastic. But I just wanted to say that this pair of books, which I think probably should be read consecutively, um, because the story of The Salt Path is really quite extraordinary. After a terrible business decision, uh, Raynor and her husband, Moth, lose uh, their family home, their farm. They're homeless, they're bankrupt, and then they discover a few days after the bank telling them it's all over, you're going to have to sell up, they discover that Moth has a terrible debilitating illness. And, I mean, for people who go through grief and trauma like this, this book offers you so much in terms of a common experience. I cannot recommend it more highly. The way... Raynor just opens up about how she felt. Anyway, the two of them decide to get through this because they have no home anymore. They're going to do the south coast, the southwest coast, and they end up doing the whole coastal walk of Cornwall, Caro. So they do that top part, that northern part of Cornwall. You and I went to uh, St Ives together last year, all around there. It takes them a couple of months to do that. The weather sets in. They then go and work on a farm for a few months. And then when the weather improves, they do the southern coast, which is the area where we walked with the cornballs. If you remember, it's just so beautiful. Um, it's really, um, it, it's a really great book and it has a terrific ending. And the ending is that they end up in a borrowed apartment or a borrowed flat in Paul Ruin. Now, do you remember visiting Paul I Ruin? I do. I've been there first with my husband and second with the Cornballs. That was our um, Demoria walk, wasn't it, when it we was. walked? We ended up, I remember that funny little pub we ended up at in the pouring rain. Yeah, having gin we and tonics. Waiting, <laughs> waiting when for we, the boat. While we were waiting for the little ferry to take us back to yeah. our, um, back to Foy, which was on the other side of the harbour. Well, it, well, you will love, in the in the Wild Silence, the second book of Raynor, she talks about the little house in one of those cobblestone lanes where they live. And I can almost see it, Caro. I reckon we stumbled out of the pub. We could have ended up in Raynor's front living room if we looked hard enough. Oh, brilliant. Anyway, this the, this pair of books is fantastic. I cannot recommend it more highly. Uh, it's a beautiful uh, look and peek into Cornish life. If you're a walker, you will love Raynor's uh, explanations of their walks, the choices they make, the the birds and wildlife that they see, of course, the vegetation and the flowers. And then in the second book, as I said, they make the big journey to Iceland. And that, if you're ever interested in going to it, will we ever be able to go to Iceland ever again in our life? Anyway, it's fantastic. Travel by armchair. 
That is The Wild Silence and The Salt Path. Highly recommend them both. Now, Caro, you and I have been watching at the same time in different yes. living rooms the same strong, show. There's a strong Cornish theme to um, episode 149 of Don't Shoot the Messenger and more to come. But um, the, I, got ba- I got back home Saturday, Sunday afternoon, very happy, very tired, fire. My son had actually lit the fire it was the sofa was beckoning and I thought, you absolute whipper, I'm going to just turn off everything and watch Rebecca. I've got to say, Corrie, I was disappointed. I was really – I thought the miscasting of both Army Hammer, that wonderful American actor from Call Me By Your Name, and um, the social – what was it called? Uh, the one about uh, yeah, um, Facebook. Facebook, yeah, social network, is it? Social network? That's it, social network. Army Hammer really off his game as Maxim de Winter – frightfully miscast, as was the beautiful Lily James, far too beautiful for the second Mrs. De Winter, whose name you never find out. Joan Fontaine, I mean, it's hard to follow um, Laurence Olivia for Army oh, Totally, and, totally. And I know a lot of other people have made that There's been miniseries. There's been, Rebecca has been made a lot, you know, stage, screen, TV, but I was disappointed. I, Kristen Scott Thomas was pretty good as Mrs. Danvers, although, again, she was very Joan Anderson and she was a bit more creepy in the sort of the sexual... Judith Anderson. Judith Anderson, yeah. I should say, than the sexual sort of... Um, there was really sexual overtones in that relationship, wasn't there, between Danny and and the late Mrs De Winter, Rebecca, and that wasn't allowed when they first made the film because of the censorship at the time, but uh, the Hayes rule or whatever it was called. There was a bit of that in this one. Clearly the Cornish countryside and coast was beautiful. Obviously, the scenes in Monte Carlo and those beautiful gardens that they went to, the Botanic Gardens, where they were having their courtship was lovely. But um, no, I was, it just, it lacked something for me. Yeah, it, it, look, it lacked, I think, the sinister nature of it. So even though the Laurence Olivier, or the, sorry, I should say the Hitchcock film starring Laurence Olivier and Joan Fontaine was sanitised to some extent according to in, in uh, relation to the original Daphne du Maurier novel. They still carried it off as, as very, very sinister and maybe it was actually Hitchcock's direction. But I think also uh, the Maxim de Winter role which Olivier took on, he really went into that man with a tortured past who never ever wants it to come back on board and who buries so much emotion and so much mystery. And you write about Lily, far too beautiful, too many out, pretty outfits. I mean, if she's a lady's maid, every day that they courted in Monte Carlo, Caro, she's in a new frock. Where's the budget? She's got no money. She's got no parents. She's got no prospects. Maxim de Winter, on the other hand, that mustard suit, surely he could have run to something a bit better after the fourth occasion. I mean, seriously, the, his tailor had a lot to be desired. I, no, I thought Army Hammer was really, really miscast, and I didn't think he did a good job at all, and he's a good actor. I think I talked a few weeks ago about Rebecca's Tale, that wonderful sequel set years after after the death of Rebecca and obviously the court case by Sally Bowman, Colonel Jolyon, who was the family lawyer, played a big role in that novel. And he's he's not in the film at all, while Frank Crawley, the estate manager, is. And Mrs De Winter is another um, follow-up, I think, that uh, Susan Hill wrote in 1993. So because I've read all of those, I don't know. Look, it just captured the wrong tone for me completely. Yeah, anyway, yeah, hard, understand. hard to follow up. One of, you know, that's the only film, I think, 
he ever Hitchcock ever won an Oscar for, and well, deservedly so. And deservedly so. And also, Caro, the book. The book is extraordinary, and we talked a lot about this as we were trundling along the Cornish coastline. We had a lot of discussion about Daphne, and we all agreed that that was probably our favourite novel of hers. It's a wonderful many-layered book. So they're doing a new uh, version, a new um, edition of it, and it will have Lily on the cover. So look out for that at your local bookstore. Caro Food, you and I the other night also at different households, we had a pasta bake-off without really knowing it. We did. You were. Um, I, you told me you were cooking tomatoes and you were doing a pasta dish and I said, isn't that funny? Because so am I. Let's <laughs> we do a bake-off. So do you my, want to go first? Well, mine is um, – I've actually – the little screenshot I've taken from my recipe book doesn't have the official title of this recipe, so sorry about that, but it's from a brand-new cookbook that comes out next week. This is one of my favourite cookbooks of the year, and I, I'm lucky enough to have an advanced copy. Thank you, Hardy Grant. It's called Always Add Lemon by Danielle Alvarez. At Danielle is the head chef at Fred's in Sydney. Many people, I love her. Many people love would have gone there – you know, when, when we're allowed to cross the Murray. And this is a really terrific uh, recipe. Kel uh, Island, take notes, so, so easy. You need pancetta cut up into small bits. You need anchovy fillets, garlic cloves, lots of rosemary, and I put in lots – it does say chilli flakes, but I actually put in double the pinch of chilli flakes that she said – she suggested. Uh, lots of cherry tomatoes. And um, you just cook all of this up with – uh, the key to this is borlotti beans, Caro. Now, I couldn't find any fresh ones or dried ones, so I had to use the can. It was just as good. There is a theory about mixing beans with pasta that it can be a very, very starchy dish. I think probably what sets that off is the anchovies and the tomato that mix, and it actually just really frees it up. You can cook this really quickly in the pan. I actually let it sit for a couple of hours, and I uh, and um, my husband said the next day when he had the leftovers, it was even better the day after. So this is a winner. Miss Jane will put it up on the show notes, but please look out for this um, cookbook potties. You will all love it. It's called Always Add Lemon. Over to you. What did you cook? Well, before I tell you, it, this recipe is probably should be dedicated to Kel because it is very simple. I feel bad we still talk about her as our template for simple cooking. I reckon I saw her on the telly on Saturday night. Did you see uh, me on her. the telly on Saturday night? I did. You were on the Channel 7 News. <laughs> yeah, I didn't see it. You were. The first person no, well, I was, to contact I was, was Jeff, head, Jeff Slattery who's, who texts me to say, you're wearing your pyjamas to work, Dale. Well, I was actually. I was in my clean-up <laughs> clothes. You weren't in your pyjamas. You look great. I just saw you with the sound down because I was on air at the time and you got a mention from Tim Lane, which was nice. But anyway, Kel Island, I think I saw sitting with her husband, Andrew, in the stands at the Gabba on grand final night. So hello, Kel, and thank you for your nice message about the Tigers. Um, this oh, Look, this is such a good pasta recipe, Corrie, that I almost did it last week, but I've done so many recipes out of the good weekend. I thought I'd better not. I've done it twice. And that night that we spoke on the phone, I was doing it for the second time. It's a Neil Perry. Like yours, it's a carb-on-carb, carb, although my carb-on-carb carb is um, the fried breadcrumbs on top, which, to which you add um, parsley and a bit of olive oil. Can I Absolutely say, Cara, Cara, during COVID times, the the fried um, breadcrumbs on the top of anything have become my real go-to. <laughs> I put it on everything they, they, now. They do enhance a dish. This um, pasta they use is strozza pretty, strozza pretty. I, it's, 
it's short and it's that thick sort of I, I used another sort of pasta. I just used a one of those you know those designer looking pastas you often see them in the supermarket shelf. They're short. They've sort of got two or three layers to them. They're like um, not penne, but like penne with another layer. I on know, top. but Carol, Stro- uh, Carol, I think they might be the cause of my weevil issue. Um, Just saying. Well, Strot, not with this recipe, because you'll do it so often, you'll never have leftover pasta. I won't go through the whole recipe. It is simple. It is beautiful. You actually cook the pasta and drain it, but you then add it to the cold complement of the meal, which makes up the sauce, and it becomes warm because of the hot pasta. Basically, it's vine-ripened tomatoes cut into dice. I use cherry tomatoes, anchovies like you, black olives, a chilli paste called salsa matcha, which I had not, no idea what that was. So I just used um, sambal olek, which I had in the fridge, but use any chilli paste, I reckon. Lemon juice, red wine vinegar, that's a key ingredient. Lots of basil, lots of parsley and grated parmesan on top with the breadcrumbs. So you add all of you mix up the tomato mixture with the vinegar and the olive oil and the lemon and then you throw and the chopped anchovies and then you throw the pasta on top, mix it round. Absolute winner. If for vegetarians or vegans well vegetarians anyway, you take out the anchovies. But once I added eggplant, the other time I added some broad beans which I had in the fridge. It is so delicious. Easy and so and also a good one for just clearing out the vegetable container. I think you could put most things in that. Sounds great. Thanks, Red Energy, for uh, bringing us BSF. And now, Caro, we have a new little segment. We've got so many segments. This is called the Cocktail Cabinet, and it's our way of introducing Prince Wine Store, bringing Melburnians the greatest wine in the world. And they deliver Australia-wide. Just visit princewinestore.com.au. We are thrilled that they are on board. And next week, we are going to have one of the owners of the business come and visit us. But today, Caro, just to kick it off, you mentioned before the Premier yesterday saying he was going to celebrate with something a little higher up on the shelf. So if we were going a little higher up on the shelf, what drop would you be reaching for? Oh, definitely Whispering Angel Rosé. It's very expensive, but it's one of my, I think you're going to ask me to give Brownlow votes, and that receives two Brownlow votes in my book. It is the most beautiful rosé. You know I'm a rosé lover. I know you're not mad on it, but the bottle is stunning. You can buy it in bottles or magnums. It is so pretty. It tastes as good as it looks. And so that is my number one. And if it was for a spirit like Dan, I think he went for the whiskey, didn't he? I would definitely go for that new Four Pillars gin, the green olive leaf one, which um, my our friend Trish, big friend of the podcast, um, told me to serve with slice of orange, a Sicilian olive and dirty tonic which is a very nice new brand of tonic water that I've discovered. So that would be my two go-tos. What about you? Perrier Jouet. It would probably be my favourite of all the French champagnes. And it's not – well, it is – Corey, who are you kidding? It is expensive, but it's not as expensive as some of them. That would be my top shelf reach. And if we're doing a Brownlow medal count, this is just to get – Prince Wine Store thinking about uh, forthcoming episodes and what we might discuss. If we were doing Brownlow votes for wine varieties and we did a three, two, one, I would start with a one being a Riesling because you know I love a Riesling. Number two would be Chablis and we just don't get enough of them at a reasonable price here in Oz. And the third one would be a Pinot Noir. What about you? Well, I would start with Chablis. That's my favourite. I love 
I can't say it, but I'd love it. I can drink it. Viognier, is that how you pronounce it? V- yeah, Vonier, Vi- Vonier, I think. <laughs> anyway, I Chablis would be my number one. And Prince can there's tell a us. great there's a great brand that's a bit more reasonable than most called William Fevre, F-E-V-R-E, Chablis. I love that Chablis. Um, number two would be the Whispering Angel Rosé, although I'm Oh, well, you've actually you've actually got de- delved deep into actual wineries. Yep. Oh, okay. And um and um I also love the Portia Estate Rosé. They've dropped this year. The 2020 is wonderful. Sorry, the 2019 is wonderful. Um, but my number one would be a sparkling wine. I call it champagne, but it's not legally champagne because it's made in Tasmania, and that's Clover Hill. I reckon that is as good as most French varieties and better than most. I love Clover Hill. And you know what and wine. you know what I love? I love when we play Scrabble and you arrive at the door with a bottle of Clover Hill. We'll be able to do that again <laughs> soon. Scrabble. I think, we, I think we go through more than one bottle of Clover Hill over that weekend, Corrie. But they would be my three, two, one. Thank you, Caro. That's the cocktail cabinet. And thanks, Prince Wine Store. We look forward to chatting further with you guys next week. And you are bringing Melburnians the greatest wine in the world. PrinceWineStore.com.au. Everybody visit. Now, Caro, I've been grumpy the last couple of weeks. You're grumpy. I can't imagine anybody who's floating around on cloud nine is angry. But what are you angry about? I am so grumpy. And it's I'm grumpy about the grand final because... The AFL and Channel 7 are saying the ratings and the event justify the fact that now we have to look at having a night grand final permanently. I knew this would happen. It's not good enough and it's wrong. The ratings were not that great. Don't lie, AFL. 3.81 or 3.8 something million was down well down on the Bulldogs grand final, for example, their win in 2016, well down on those big Sydney grand finals involving West Coast in the mid-2000s. Obviously, when Sydney's involved, the ratings go way up because we get a lot more New South Wales viewers. And they were even down on the Collingwood-Geelong grand final. Uh, was that uh, 2011? So don't say that these are – yes, they were very good numbers and way up on last year, but last year involved GWS, which has a very small supporter base, and it was a, and it was not because it was at night. So do not try and introduce a night grand final permanently, which most of the public don't want. Peggy O'Neill doesn't want. Trent Cochin doesn't want. The children, the, the children of Australia don't want. The children oh, of Melbourne who are lucky enough to get a ticket don't want. Those of us who are at home who we just want to have then three or four hours of just total binge post match watching and analysis. We don't want to be up at one o'clock in the morning watching that stuff. Nobody well, wants a I'll, night grand final yeah, except the AFL. Imagine me, Corey. I had to go go and watch the entire replay afterwards. So I was up till 2am. And oh, no, look, that's not the reason. Gosh, life's the a day, The day is so long. All this stuff about the halftime entertainment, it looked fantastic. The grand final, as Waleed Ali said on Sunday on the offside, is it's not an event. It is a game. We have banners that our players run through. We have club songs. We're not America. We have our own unique culture. Stop taking away the things that make it so great. Richard Goiter, who's not had a good year as chairman of the AFL, said on Monday that, you know, everything points to the fact that they'd look at it again because of the numbers. It's not true. The numbers weren't that good. Well, after he's heard you're grumpy, he'll be having an even worse year. Listen to that, Richard. Take that, AFL. Now, six quick questions, and we have to be quick because we've been chatting way too much. Um, Caro, what's your latest COVID-inspired guilty pleasure? Well, it's Cornwall-related. You know how we travel by um, 
we travel basically in our armchairs at the moment and in our beds when we look at our mobile phones and look at websites. I've signed up to the website of that wonderful hotel we stayed at in Cornwall, the Tresanton, one of the guiltiest pleasures we've ever indulged in because it was a beautiful hotel. I didn't um, feel I'm guilty for I didn't feel guilty for one minute. What I do I now is subscribing it. to their website. I get their emails all the time. You know, they've got a beautiful hotel in Devon. They're opening another one called The Star in another part of England, which will come to me in a moment. And I'm following the building of The Star. It's about to open. The one in Devon looks absolutely beautiful. And the Tristanton at the moment is holding a yoga retreat. Wouldn't that be beautiful? Oh, it's sold out in about one day. Anyway, that's what I'm doing, wasting time looking at the internet. Corrie, what do you fear most about next week's US presidential election? Well, apart from the fact, apart from the obvious, which is Donald Trump is re-elected, I think regardless of which uh, leader, whether it's Joe Biden or Donald Trump who is elected president, what I fear most, Caro, is the hatred and the divis- divisiveness and the bitterness and everything else that has led to this really stressful, really difficult 2020 campaign. Joe Biden's speech at Gettysburg a few weeks ago, he said, instead of treating each other's party as the opposition, we now treat them as the enemy. And I thought a lot about that, actually. The day of gentleman and gentlewoman politics, the other side of the aisle, you were always respectful at the end of the day, you'd always shake hands. And now there's just so much hatred. So I'm not sure how America is going to repair that. Good luck to the person who's in charge. Caro, Julia Roberts' birthday is this week. And of her 58 movie roles, which would be your favourite? I reckon the one that made her a star, Mystic Pizza. Oh, we saw that together. You and I saw that together. It was a beautiful film. Brendan and I actually spent a night in Mystic, a town in Connecticut, a beautiful town which has this amazing sort of drawbridge thing that goes up and down. Um, it's a it's a coastal sort of harbour town. She's one of three sisters. They work in a pizza shop, or she does. I think it's got Vince D'Onofrio's in it. Matt Damon, in an early role, is in it. She is wonderful in that. And from that, my, my mother saw it and tipped she was going to be a star from that very film. I so think you and I, I loved, walked out. I, just, I said I wanted to have my grow my hair as curly and as wild as hers. Would I ever look like that in my life, in my dreams? No, never. But you and I were so inspired. And you and I walked out and thought she was going to be pretty fantastic too. Yeah, look, I love Notting Hill and I loved a lot of her other films. That one about the union leader, but that was her best. Corrie, of all the leading men she has appeared with, which one would you most like to have ended up with at the end of the movie? In researching this question, I knew you were going to ask me, Caro. I am amazed at the eye candy that she has dated. Uh, Well, not only dated in real life, dated as their screen I know, partner. I know. Like at the end of the movie, she has ended up with so many so many dishy men. But I'm not going to state the bleeding obvious, which would be Richard Gere back in the day when he didn't have silver hair. I'm going to say, and it was actually a jolly good movie too, with an amazing cast. When she, in the 1996 film Michael Collins, Liam Neeson plays the political activist, political leader, Michael Collins. And she plays Kitty can't remember Kitty's surname, but um, Kitty was also a rebel. Oh, it'll come to me in a second. I just thought in 1996, Liam Neeson rocked. He still does, actually. I've still got a huge crush on him. So that's the that's the one I would like to end up with. Caro, name one area what where... What about the-, the beautiful private garden in Chelsea or Notting Hill when she's sitting with Hugh Grant, hugely pregnant? Caro, you, not- Caro, you know my, I've interviewed Hugh Grant. I will not be... 
dating Hugh Grant if he rings me. Well, <laughs> I might. But. I would like to end up in their private garden. But anyway, sorry I um, interrupted you. Name one area where the AFL beat the NRL hands down this year. The grand final commentary. I mean, it's a better game. It's a better sport. The ratings clearly were better all the way through. But the commentary of the NRL grand final was so biased. And Phil Gould has clearly got Penrith connections. But it was almost so frustrating it made it entertaining because I don't really enjoy the game, but I do love the Melbourne Storm and what they've achieved. Hey, they were 14 to nothing, and Phil Gould was still saying that Penrith was the better team and had the upper hand. I sort of knew what he meant. Penrith had had some bad breaks, but, you know, Storm got the first try and he said that won't be a try, it's not going to get a try. The commentator said it was a try. I mean, all the way through, even after the game, he said that, Penrith probably should have won the game. It was so biased, and I thought the AFL commentary, boy, did it show it's good to be there. It's better to be there on the night because, you know, there's been a lot of calling the game from TV, and I know that's been tough for Channel 7 and Fox Footy and 3AW and SEN and all the stations, but um, Michael Voss and Luke Hodge doing the special comments were absolutely fabulous. The calling was great. Bruce, obviously, and BT. I don't know why they didn't lose use Lee Matthews, but anyway. So yeah, the commentary was much better. Camera, now, camera sorry. work, camera work with uh, camera work with the footy could have been better. I thought. Yeah, there were some odd shots. Yeah, there, that but, yeah. The top and do you know what it is? It's ca- it's cameramen and camera women who haven't played the game because they're in Queensland. That's my that's my thing about. Like we should take Victorians up there because they shoot the game better. Anyway, sorry, you have a question for me, Corey. Yeah, look, it's also Keith Urban's birthday. We, I know you're not mad on his wife. I think she's a genius. Um, name one Keith Urban song. Can you name a Keith Urban song? Pass. <laughs> Neither can I. Why did I get this question? Um, anyway, so that's the end of the show. I actually thought you were going to ask me and I would have given the same answer. It's just funny, isn't he? The poor bloke, he's Mr Nicole Kidman. I'm sure country and western fans know all his songs, but I don't think I could name, I can't name one. Oh, there you go. Well, look, maybe someone can. We want your feedback. Don't forget that, everybody. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter. Leave us messages. And, of course, our email is feedback at don'tshootpod.com.au. And don't forget for our 150th episode next week, first of all, we'd love you to join us. So just go into the show notes and click and away you go. Get your champagne ready or your glass of wine, 5.30. Are we going to wear wear blue again? Is that going to be a thing? Let me think about our let me think about our fashion for a moment. I'll get back to you on that one. And also, okay. if you'd like, I think we should do floral frocks. Everybody who joins the Zoom should be in a floral frock. How's that? Because we haven't. We've only what? been in leisure suits since March. Or even me mate? on national television. <laughs> I was in my leisure pants. Oh. What about the blokes who've signed up? They can't wear floral. Well, well they, they could they wear can it. if they want. But they might like the opportunity <laughs> to do that, Caro. Um, no, they can have a pretty. They don't have a pretty bright coloured shirt or t-shirt. How about that? Let's go pastel. Okay. Let's go gelati. Let's just embrace summer. Embrace the end of lockdown and embrace one another as we. Go forth into our 150th episode. Please join us and send us lots of questions which you would like us to respond to. Thank you to our podcast supporters for Red Ener- who are Red Energy, of course, and Click for Vic and Prince Wine Store. We're so glad all of you guys love our podcast and you are on board. And if anybody else would like to join in, join the party. Just contact Miss Jane. She's just selling tickets to this podcast, Left, Right and Centre. You'll find links in the show notes and all the social media to all of our sponsors and all of the wonderful people who support us. Miss Jane, thank you once again 
for uh, organising this remote telecast with Caro on my screen. And what do we say, Caro? Don't shoot the messenger and go tides. God's sake. It's a week late for that. Isn't, aren't we over that now? Well, I wasn't going to say it last week. They hadn't won yet. Thanks for listening to the Don't Shoot the Messenger podcast. And thanks, of course, to our sponsors, Red Energy, powered by Snowy Hydro, a leader in renewable energy. Call 131806 for real Aussie energy. And Prince Wine Store, bringing Melburnians the greatest wine in the world and delivering Australia-wide. Visit princewinestore.com.au.